often begin every single year with one or two sermons on prayer. Uh, but I just want us to do a little bit deeper dive this year. So we're going to be spending five weeks. For when we come into Scripture, we see all throughout Scripture that prayer is talked about. And we see God's people praying. We see uh, the prophets pray, the kings pray, the women pray, the men pray, the apostles pray. We see the church prays. We, we see Jesus comes and he prays. All throughout scripture, we see prayer is a necessary part of the Christian life. We're told to pray without ceasing. We're told that God is like a good father who loves our prayers, or as Diane was saying, delights in our prayers. We see clearly that prayers is one of the very means in which God uses to accomplish his purposes. And so we have all these commands and all this beautiful language in God's word talking about prayer and how mighty it is and how essential it is, and yet... It's often something that we struggle with as Christians. We often will ask questions like, am I praying the right way? Do my prayers matter? What should I be praying for? And it's that last question that I really want to zero in, not only today, but throughout this series, what should I be praying for? Have you ever wrestled with that? What do I pray? What should I be praying for? I want you to think of it. Think, think of like Elon Musk. One of the most wealthy people in the world. Imagine if he was to come to you and says, ask me whatever it is that you want. All of my resources are at your disposal. I mean, that would be pretty incredible, right? Like, oh, what am I going to ask? And yet, Elon Musk does not even begin to compare to the unsurpassing glory of God and the infinite riches that he possesses. And we don't just have one request. Or like, you know, the whole genie in a bottle. We don't just get... Three requests. It literally says, come to me at all times and pray. In fact, Jesus said in John 16, 23, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Isn't that an incredible promise? Whatever you, whatever you pray, he will give. And so it begs the question, what do we pray for? How do we pray and so that's the question that I want to begin to answer today, and I want us to address as we go throughout the next few weeks. Uh, so this series is, is based upon a book written by D.A. Carson titled Learning, uh, Praying with Paul. And so I have, I think I have five of these, one for every week. And so uh, I want to give these out, and really the book is all about just looking at Paul's prayers and, and saying, what if we prayed like that? And so each of the sermons that we're going to be doing is going to be based upon one of Paul's prayers. And we're just going to say, what if Paul's prayers begins to shape our prayers? What if scripture shapes, focuses, and grounds our prayer? And so that's what we're going to be doing, uh, not only today, but over the next five weeks. And the main point today, as we, as we look at Philippians, and I want you to hear this, the main point is that we are to pray for an ever-increasing love informed by the gospel for the very glory of God. And we're going to unpack that as we go through. But we're to pray for an ever-increasing love informed by the gospel for the very glory of God. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you, go ahead and stand. And we are going to read chapter 1, verses 9 through 11 in the book of Philippians. Each week we stand when we read God's word. We do so to remind ourselves of the weight and the sufficiency and the very glory of the word that God has given us. So here we go, verse 9. And it is my prayer 
that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Pray with me. Father, as we, as we look at your word today, and as we look at, at a prayer that your spirit has inspired Paul to write and to pray for the church of Philippi, God, help us to learn from this prayer. God, I pray that this prayer would begin to shape the way that we pray, the way that we think about prayers. That, God, we would pray for the deep realities of your word to be applied to our life, that we would be conformed into your image, that we would live like you. And so, Lord, as we begin looking at prayer today and over the next few weeks, I pray that you grow us as a church in our desire to pray and our love for prayer. May we hunger to pray more and more. God, may we see the beauty of prayer and how you use it not only in our lives, but in the lives of others, and ultimately, that you would be glorified in all of the earth. In your name, Jesus, amen. Y'all may be seated. Um, before we dig in to the prayer, Elliot, are you getting those doors? I appreciate that. I can like hear there's like an echo coming, because there's like, yeah, I appreciate that, Elliot. Um, before we dig in, I want, I want to remind us of the context of, of the book of Philippians. So, Paul's in prison, and he's in prison because he's preached the gospel. So his, his freedom is limited. He is suffering because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, if we were to go back to the opening verses, like 3 through 8, we would see that Paul tells the church he joyfully prays for them because of their partnership in the gospel. Paul is filled with joy because this church loves the very gospel that has resulted in his imprisonment. And so he prays that they would love the gospel all the more. And verses 9 through 11 is that prayer. And I want you to notice something as we begin digging into this prayer. Paul is, not, Paul is praying not for pleasant results, but for deep realities. And I want you to think, he's not praying for pleasant results in his life or in the Philippians' life, but he's praying for deep realities. And what I mean is, he's not praying that the Philippians would have a good day, good food, good jobs, a good time. He doesn't pray that they won't suffer. He doesn't pray they won't go to prison. He doesn't pray they make more friends. He doesn't pray they get better jobs. He doesn't pray that they would have problem-free days. He doesn't pray for pleasant results, but he prays for deep realities. Now, we, we ought to pray for daily needs. That's something that we are to do. Jesus says that we're to pray for our daily bread, and we ought to give Jesus the very desires of our heart. But so often, our prayers have no more depth than that of like a fortune cookie. And so what, what Paul is doing here is he's showing us the depth and the weight and the beauty of prayer, and he's inviting us to pray like this, that the deep realities of Scripture would be applied into our hearts and that we would be transformed more into the image of Christ. And so I want us to look at these deep realities that Paul's praying for, and the, the prayer is broken up into three, uh, three parts. We got the request, we got the results, and the reason. So that's kind of how we make our way through this. So we'll start with the request, and that's in verse 9. Paul prays that the church would abound more and more in love with knowledge 
and discernment. There's two things I want us to see, and this comes straight from Scripture. Number one, we're to abound more and more in love. That's, that's the first part of the request. Paul prays that the church in Philippi, and I think we can pray for ourselves, that we would grow in love. Now, when you read the book of Philippians, there's not necessarily a big problem with love. He does address a few things at the end, but they appear to be a loving church. But he's telling me, you've not peaked in love yet. There's still room for you to grow. And just a reminder here, you've not peaked in love. Husbands, you can be more loving. Wives, you can be more loving. Children, there's, there's room for you to grow in love. There's room for every single one of us to grow in what is to be a more loving person. Why? Why ought we to grow in love? Well, when we look at Scripture, we see that all throughout Scripture, God's people are to be characterized by love. And so I just want to give four reasons why we are to be a loving people and why we ought to always be praying that we would abound more and more and more in love. Number one, Jesus said that the greatest commandment is that we would love the Lord Jesus with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And the second is like it, that we'd love our neighbor as ourselves. He says the entire law can be summed up, love God, love your neighbor. So when we look at scripture, everything about scripture is ultimately about how we love like God. Number two, Jesus said in John 13, 35, after he gets done washing the disciples' feet, he turns to him and he says, the defining mark of a Christian is that you love one another. The way the world will know that you are my disciples is, for, is by your love. You might say, well, well, why? Why is it that love is the defining mark of a believer. That brings us to number three, because God is love. We read about that in Scripture, like in 1 John 4, 8. We read, anyone who does not love God does not know God. Why? Why is that true? Why, if we don't love one another, do we say that we do not love God? It says, because God is love. Amen, indeed. And so the reality is, is when God saves you, he doesn't save you and then leave you so you stay like you are. He saves you and transforms you so you would live like him. And if he's the God of love, now remember, he's not loving. He is love. There's a huge difference. Like he's not loving sometimes and sometimes something else. No, he is always, always, always love because he is love. And therefore, if we are to live like him, what would that mean? We would love like him. You say, well, well, how? How is that even possible? I'm glad you asked that question. Because then we go to one of my favorite verses in Romans, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 5, where we're told that the Holy Spirit literally just pours love into our hearts. That's his role. Do you realize that? Here's what Romans 5 says. God's love has been poured into your hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. And I think I've shared this before, but this is just, um, it's a terrible visual in some ways, but it really helps me, and it falls short exceedingly, so don't judge too hard. Uh, but I just picture, like, the Holy Spirit with this, like, 50-gallon drum, and he's just continually just pouring love into our hearts at all times of the day. There's just this massive reservoir of love, and it's infinite because God is infinite, and his role in your life is to pour forth the love of God at all times. So we are to be a loving people because that's all that Scripture talks about. Scripture can be summarized as 
that we love one another, that we love God, that we're to be defined by our love, that, um, that God is love, and because he works in us, we are to love like him. But this love that we have is not some wishy-washy, feeling-based kind of love. This is not a love that we define. This is a love that's defined by the gospel. And that's what brings us to the second part of Paul's request, where he says that you would abound more and more with love, uh, filled with knowledge and all discernment. So it's, it's, a, it's a love that has weight to it. This is a biblically informed love. We don't learn about this love by simply looking at the world, by observing culture, or by, by watching, you know, uh, movies, or by reading trashy romance novels. We're not going to learn about love in those things. Rather, we, we learn about the love of God and what it means to love like him in his word. In fact, this is what we read in chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. It says, in this is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. <clears throat> in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So all of scripture is ultimately about God sending his son, Jesus Christ, to the cross where he would die for us in our place, rising three days later so that we who believe in him would be forgiven, would be saved, adopted into his family, and promised that we, we would have eternal life with him. And God says, that is the greatest display of my love, the sending of my son, Jesus Christ, to the cross. And so when you're in the Old Testament, everything is about moving towards the cross. And when you're in the New Testament, everything is either looking at the cross or back towards the cross and what it means because of the cross and how we live the Christian life. And so Paul is wanting us to know that the way that we love is by looking, through, looking at Scripture, at the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would live in love like Jesus. And you say, well, well, what would that look like? Well, Paul actually answers that later in Philippians. If you turn just to the right, and you would look at chapter 2, verses 3 and 5. This is what we read. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or, or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying that, we, that to live a loving life means that we're looking at others and we're counting them more significant than ourselves. We're saying I want to value them, I want to honor them more than I even value and honor myself. So, so what would be a good question then that we could ask is how Will we do that? How are we actually going to count other people more significant than ourselves? Because that's not always my default. Is it yours? Are you just really good at just waking up every morning? How do I value everyone else more than I value me today? So how is it we're going to do that? Well, number one, we must read God's word. We must read God's word. It's in God's word that we see God, the God who is love. We see how he has loved us through the giving of his son, Jesus Christ, the very gospel. 
It's in God's word that we see his commands. It's in God's word that we see his promises. It's in God's word that we see his beauty and his glory and how he will work in us and through us that he would accomplish these purposes. But we can't stop there. We also must pray. Because listen, prayer is the means that our faith grabs onto the very promises of God. It's through prayer that the truths of God's word are applied to your souls. I mean, think about it. There's many people who know God's word, and they're not loving at all. The Pharisees knew God's word. They weren't characterized by love. So it's more than just reading the word. Prayer is the exercising of our faith that we would grasp the truths and the promises of God's word, asking him to apply those to our life, which means every time you open God's word, you should pray before, during, and after reading. Every time we come to church, we should be praying before coming to church. During this time, you should be prayerfully listening, not just to me because I have something to say, but because of his word that's being preached. And we should pray in response always to the preaching of God's word. Prayer is the means we take the very truths of God's word, exercising our faith, asking God, make this a reality in my life. So I want you to think about this. What would your, how would your marriage change if you prayed for an ever-increasing, biblically-informed love for yourself and for your spouse? What would happen if, if we prayed for our kids rather than they just make friends at school, but what if we prayed that they would be the kind of kids that abound in love for others at all times? Rather than praying that our, our neighbor or the annoying employee would just go away, what if we prayed that we would abound in a biblically informed love for them and show them that love at all times? What would change in your life if you grew in your love for one another, if you begin to abound in love. You see, so often our prayers are about immediate, pleasant results. I mean, just think about your, your mealtime praying. God, give me a good day, bless this food, blah, blah, blah. And that's kind of the depth that they are. And I do think that we should pray, and it's okay to say simple prayers, but I just challenge is there depth to our prayers ever? And when are we praying for the deep realities of God's word to be applied to our hearts? Because here, in this prayer, we're being invited into the very rich storehouses of God, and we are praying that our lives would abound in a gospel-centered love, that the very spirit that dwells in us would continue just to pour forth the very love of God into our hearts, that we'd be transformed and be more like Jesus so we would love like Jesus. That's really what he's praying for here. He says it differently, but really he's, he's praying, help this church to live more like Jesus. What would that look like? That we would love, that we would abound in love at all times. Now that's an incredible prayer. That's a prayer that will strengthen you and prepare you for whatever situation you are in. And so Paul actually begins to flush that out. What would it look like if we prayed that we would abound in God's love at all times? 
And so he gives us these results that will begin to take place in our life. And we see those starting in verse 10. And, and Paul says, you will make right decisions. I want you to think about that. The result of praying that we would abound in prayer is that, or abound in love is that we would make right decisions. Paul says, verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent. The word approve means that we would test. It means we would examine there's very, very similar language in Romans 12, too. So, so listen to this one. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul here says, abound in love so you may test and approve what is excellent. Here he says, be conformed so that you may test and discern what the will of God is. It's the same prayer. Just given to us a little bit differently. So often, and I'm guessing you've been there, I've been there, we pray that we would know God's will. Have you ever prayed for that? In some form or another? God, just help me to know your will. We want to know what job to take, what college to go to, or how do we respond to this person or that person, or this is a difficult person in my life. How do I respond to that? Or marriage is hard, Ch uh, parenting is hard. How do I respond? What is it that I do? But notice that knowing God's will is a result of another prayer. Like Paul doesn't say first, just I pray that you would know God's will. I pray that you'll abound in love so that you will approve, so that you will abound in love and approve that which is excellent. We will know what to do, how to live when we abound in love filled with the very knowledge of God. When our desire is to be more like Jesus and respond in love, then we'll live like Jesus. Now just think about this. The Philippian letter is a testimony of this. Paul's in prison because of preaching the gospel. And rather than being filled with shame or fear, he loves the church. And he's encouraging, he's encouraging them to stand strong in the gospel. He's not, he's not encouraging them to waver at all. In fact, later in Philippians 1, he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. For when I die, I'll be with Christ. He's telling them to love the gospel all the more. So when tragedy strikes Paul, he's responding in love. We see that also in the testimony in the book of Acts. Remember when Paul and Silas, they're thrown into prison? And it comes to about midnight. What do they do? They sing songs. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know that my first reaction at midnight in prison would be to sing songs. But Paul, as he abounded in love more and more, responds to all situations as Christ would. And he responds in love. Listen. Do you want to know how to endure a hard marriage? Do you want to know how to overcome anger, bitterness, lust, and envy? Do you want to know how to respond to your child when they're rebellious? Do you want to know how to be a good witness to your boss? Do you want to know how to shepherd your family well throughout all the various seasons of life? Pray. Pray that you would abound in love. That God's love would flow through you, and that would be your response at all times. I think so often we, we don't pray. 
And many times we, we might say things like, well, I'm not sure how to pray, or, or I, I don't think I need to, or may, maybe, maybe I'm too weak and, and God doesn't want to listen to my prayers. I'm unable to pray. But I don't think that we actually pray because we think we're too weak. I think we don't pray because we think we're too strong. That we think in our power and our might and our wisdom and our strategies, we can handle everything. And that's how we live most of the time. But yet, what we see in Scripture is that those who trust in their power and their might and their wisdom are not strong, but in reality, they're prideful, they're weak, and they're foolish. I, I want you to know, prayerlessness is pridefulness. Like prayerfulness or prayerlessness is pridefulness. And I just want to encourage you, if you look at your life and you go, man, I don't pray, or I pray very little, or my prayers are limited to the mealtime prayers, and that's it. I encourage you just to confess that to God today. He already knows. Like you're not informing him of something he doesn't know. But you're confessing the very reality that he already knows. And you're saying, God, I want you to change me. Help me to begin abounding in your love. That I would respond in all situations as you would have me respond. Listen, weak people pray. Weak people know they need God's grace, love, and strength. And when a weak person prays, they prove to actually be wise and faithful at that time. Okay, I think I could probably say we would agree on this, but I'll, I'll say it for myself. I have learned that as I've gotten older that um, things are outside of my control. I'm not nearly as in control as I think I am, and I'm not as strong and gifted as I once thought that I was. I'm much weaker then I want to believe that I am, and then I know that my, my 20-year-old self or my 30-year-old self or my 40-year-old self would have thought, didn't say 50 yet, yeah, when Chris preaches, he'll say 50. That's my little jab back, I guess, sorry, that was mean, I need to abound in love, I'm sorry, like, man, like, that was terrible, can you, like, edit that, Paul? No, it's already posted, um, I want you, it, but, but get this, and, and this is so good, it's precisely because we, we're weak that God gives us prayer. Like, do you get that? It's precisely because we're weak he gives us prayer, and it's through prayer that God fills us with his strength and, and love so that in our weakness we'd be what? Strong in Christ. I pray that we'd be a church that prays, a church that trusts in God and so that we would abound richly in his love and mercy. Listen, I encourage you, if you realize that you are not praying today or that your prayers are at the depth of a fortune cookie, like confess that today and begin looking at Paul's prayer here today and say, I'm just going to begin adopting this. Remember, this title is, what do I pray for? What if we just begin to add this to our prayers? God, help me to abound in love with knowledge and all discernment. For when we do that, you're going to know how to respond in life. Number two, you're going to be ready for the return of Jesus. Look back at verse 10. He says, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. 
The word pure means unmixed. Blameless means that we're without fault. Paul is not saying that if you pray, you are going to be perfect. That's not what he's saying at all. But he's saying when you pray that you would abound in love and you make wise, godly decisions, then you're going to be ready for the return of Christ. Do you understand that? Prayer provides us for our needs today and prepares us for Jesus' coming in the future. When we come to God in prayer, we're reminded that one day we'll see Jesus face to face. We're reminded of our sin. We're reminded of the sinfulness of the world. We're reminded that this world is temporary and that one day God will roll it up and he's going to bring forth a new heavens and new earth that we will live with him for all of eternity. And prayer is a means in which we will grow in our assurance of our salvation and the hope of Jesus' return. Let me ask you, are you ready for the return of Christ? One of the ways we prepare for that is through prayer, that we grow in our assurance, grow in our confidence of that day. Lastly, we see that we will do good works. Verse 11, he says, we read that we'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Now, when we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're given the very righteousness of God. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, a little further in the book, Paul says that we do not have a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So when, so when Paul prays that we'd be filled with the fruit of righteousness, he's not saying that we would earn our faith, that we'd pay God back, that we would achieve our own righteousness. No, he's saying, you've been given righteousness from God. You've been imputed the very righteousness of Christ. So now when God sees you, he doesn't see a guilty sinner. He sees a saved, righteous saint. And so now Paul is saying, may your life be filled with the fruit of righteousness. May there be tangible evidence in your life of the righteousness that God has given you. Does that make sense? So you've been saved, now he's praying, live like a saved person. You have Christ in you, live that way. The Holy Spirit is pouring love in you, therefore live a loving life. I want you to think about it. Um, I washed my truck the other day. I like washing my vehicles. I don't like dirty vehicles. And so I have all these sponges. Maybe you have lots of sponges. And, And I have these big yellow ones, really big Yellow ones. If you've ever done tile, you'll use them for tile also. I never use the same sponge, though. Um, I'm a very picky car washer person and sponge person. My wife knows it. Uh, and so I take, I take my sponge, and I have my hot, soapy bucket, bucket of water, and I submerge the sponge all the way in the water. And it's one of those big, thick sponges, like three inches thick, I don't know, six inches wide. What happens when I, pour the, when I, when I pull the sponge out and I squeeze it? Water goes everywhere, right? I mean, it's a big sponge. Water goes everywhere. Water gushes forth. Everything gets wet. That's what happens when we pray that we would abound in a biblically informed love. That God's love is just in us at all times. So when things happen, when we speak, when we react, when we respond, we're doing so in the fruit of righteousness. We're doing so 
with acts and words filled with love. When someone is angry, we respond in love. When we're cut off in traffic, we respond in love. When tragedy strikes, we respond in love. When our expectations are not met, we respond in love. Why? Because we're filled with love. And when life squeezes us, what happens? Love comes out. Not a wishy-washy, feeling-based, culture-defined kind of love, but a biblically-defined, gospel-centered, weighty love that reflects the very love of God himself for us. And so what happens when we abound in love and we're known not for our athleticism, not for our intelligence, not for our possessions, not for our financial prowess, but we're known for our love? What happens when this love characterizes all that we do, that moves us into the last part of Paul's prayer. And he says, and I have a reason for this. Here's my request. Abound in love, filled with knowledge and all discernment. This is the result of what that will look like. And this is why I pray this. This is the reason. Verse 11, it's the last words of verse 11, to the glory and praise of God. The ultimate reason for Paul's prayer is God's glory. Now, this is the aim of all Scripture. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, there's this amazing description of Jesus Christ coming to earth, taking on human nature, being obedient to, to God to the point of death on the cross. And at the end, or in verses 9 through 11, we read that because Jesus has been obedient to, Christ, obedient to the Father, has died on the cross, has risen again, that his name will be exalted above every name on earth, above earth, and under earth. And then it says, all to the praise and glory of God. Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for the glory of God. All of scripture is about the very glory of God. In John 17, 4, Jesus says, right before he's arrested, in his priestly prayer, he says, Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished all that you gave me to do. Do you remember Jesus' prayer in Matthew chapter 6, known as the Lord's Prayer? How does it begin? Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, what is it? Hallowed be your name. We all know what hallowed is because we use hallowed all the time. Make your name glorious. It's a request. Jesus is saying every time we pray, hallowed be your name. Make your name glorious here, God. Goal of Scripture is God's glory, and thus the goal of our prayers for ourselves and for others is the very glory of God. The Westminster Confession asks the question, what is the chief end of man? The answer, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is what we have been saved for, that we would glorify him. And we glorify him because we enjoy him, because we love him, because he's beautiful, because he's amazing. He's filled, he is love, and he fills us with love. And so to bring all this back to Paul's prayer, when Paul prays that we would abound in love, it's not ultimately that more people will like you. He's not praying, I hope you abound in love so you won't end up in prison like me. Like, that's not what he's praying. He's praying, I pray that you abound in love, not so you get more friends, not so that your social media following increases, not so you get a bigger and better platform, but he's praying that God will be glorified through our lives in everything we say and everything we do and everything that we think. Because listen, the more that we live for God's glory, the more joy 
and satisfaction in God we will have at all times. I want you to think about what would happen if you were known for your love. What would happen? What would people think when they saw you continually respond in love, not only to those who are easy to love, but also to those who are difficult? How would your kids respond if they continually felt the love of God from you? How would those you work with or live near respond if you continued to just lavish love upon them at all times? Would they not at some point probably ask you, why or how are you so loving? And what would you say? You give them the gospel. That's what Peter means when he says that we should always have a reason for the, for the gospel that we believe in. We live lives of love. That the world will hate at times, will love us at times, but will definitely question us. And when they do, all glory goes to the Father. And we say, because God sent forth his son Jesus, that he would die for me, forgive me of my sins, save me, so that I would live in love like him. Listen, by your love, you point unbelievers to the gospel of Jesus. By your love, you remind believers of the gospel of Jesus and how much we need his love every single moment in the day. And by your love, you will abound in joy for God at all times. The title of the message is what do I pray for? We have not covered an exhaustive list at all. We've taken one slice of the pie and said one thing that we should pray for. And remember, we have not peaked in love, none of us, which means we all have room to be more loving. So one thing, that we should all pray for, for ourselves first and then others. God, help me to abound in love. A love with knowledge and all discernment, a weighty, biblical, informed love, ultimately for the very glory of God. Let's pray. Father, Father, I just thank you for today. I thank you that we have your word that your word not only tells us that you save us, your word not only describes who you are, tells us that you are, that you are love, but it shows us the gospel. It shows us what we've been saved from and what we've been saved to. And it tells us that your spirit works in us right now, that we'd be more transformed into your image and that he literally is just pouring forth love into our lives at all times. And God, you don't leave us to figure out how we live the Christian life, but you give us commands, you give us promises, and you even give us prayers in your word that ought to shape and transform how we pray. And so, Father, I pray, I pray that we as a church would make this our prayer, that we would abound in love with knowledge and all discernment. That we would know that at whatever level we love right now, Lord, you are infinite. And so there is room for us to grow. There is an infinite gap between us and you. So may we be filled with your love. May we abound in love. I pray for every conversation that we have with one another today and in the future that we respond in love. Lord, when we step on each other's toes and we don't meet each other's expectations, may we not be bitter, may we not gossip, but may we respond in love because we abound in love because we are regularly praying that your word, the truths in your scripture would become realities in our life. And I pray that we would learn that, that practice today. 
that as we come into your word every day, may we pray before your word, in your word, and after your word, and may we always pray the truths of your word, the realities of your word, would become realities in our own life, and that we would abound in love. Lord, I pray that the world is amazed at us because of how you work in us and are abounding in love, because of how you answer this prayer in our life. And I pray that every time we respond, it's for your glory, for your glory, for your glory. Because none of this is something we muster up. None of this is something we can accomplish in our, in our own power. It's all by your grace. May our marriages, may our families, may our homes, may our workplaces, may our neighborhoods, may everywhere that we are experience your love because we are abounding in love. In your wonderful name, Jesus, amen.